Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone I'm gonna make this place your home. Good morning, Hamilton. This is Rob Golfie with Remax Escarpment, the Golfie team. Welcome to the Hamilton Real Estate Show. Hey, how are you? Rick Zamperin here. Yeah, Rob Golfie to uh, my uh, far right. We have a special guest uh, to my immediate right. We'll get to him in a second. Rob Golfie, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. Call him today, 905 905- Five seven five seventy seven hundred. The website robgolfi.com. Rob G O L F I dot com. He's all over social media. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Rob Golfi. Check out the Rob Golfi Facebook page as well. Today's topic: titles, insurance, wills, power of attorney. And here to help us dissect all of that is Paul Satimi, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law. Nine zero five five two seven. 0808 satimilaw.com will pass along those coordinates as the hour progresses. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. Nice Saturday morning in the city of Hamilton to talk about titles, insurance, wills, and power of attorney. When is it not fun to talk about that stuff? Well, unfortunately, when things go sour. When things go awry. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants up, to talk about it. Then you end up in the court system, and that's yeah. uh, the last place uh, anybody really wants to be. How how'd you get to, I'm not going to make this the, the Paul Satimi show, but how did you get into this sort of work? Well, I, uh, it was always a goal since I was a child to, to get into law school and become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I, I was lucky enough to fulfill that dream and then just started practicing. And uh, I've got an uncle who's a very successful builder and mm-hmm. kind of guided me to and uh, suggested I get into uh, residential real estate. And so I did. And uh, haven't looked back since. It's been close to 30 years now since wow. uh, I've been uh, practicing uh, in Hamilton, primarily real estate, but I have a general practice. But uh it's been quite an experience, quite a journey. Just talking off air before the show, Rob, it sounds like you and Paul go way back. Yeah, we've, I've known Paul for many, many years, uh, probably at least uh, 20, 20 years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, so we've known each other. And you're still friends, eh? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> There's good days in that, eh? Yeah. All right, let's get to it. What happens when the buyer doesn't close on closing date? Well, typically we, we go through the, uh, uh, the same procedure and, and kind of system. Uh, with the assistance of, of course, uh, agents like Rob and his team, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, reduce everything to writing in the form of an agreement of purchase and sale. And then a lot of these agreements will have conditions uh, on perhaps financing, uh, doing a, a, an inspection, insurance, right. yeah. whatever. And then once those conditions, hopefully they become fulfilled, uh, Rob and his team and, and the agents will get uh, waiver signed or notices of fulfillment. And then the goal is to end up with a, a deal that's not conditional but firm. Mm-hmm. Then uh, uh, one uh, one lawyer gets the uh, paperwork on behalf of the purchaser and the another lawyer on the vendor. It used to be that lawyers could act on both sides, but the law society has deemed that to be a conflict. So now you can't act on both sides uh, unless the parties are related. Uh, otherwise, it's got to be a, an arm's length transaction. So hopefully the deal firms up. 
uh, all the conditions are waived, and then the purchaser's lawyer uh, conducts uh, his or her searches. Uh, you do a search of title. Uh, you get instructions from the bank if they're going to be uh, financing. Right. You get all the mortgage documents together. You get the client in with uh, the balance of the monies needed to close the deal. You get them to sign the papers, and then uh, you know the bank uh, releases and wires the funds on closing together with the monies they've brought in. All goes into your trust account, and then hopefully you have enough uh, to uh, close the deal. And the vendor's lawyer prepares this document called a statement of adjustments. And that's where you show credit to vendor, credit to purchaser. Uh, what you're trying to come up with is this magical number called the balance due on closing. Mm-hmm. And that's the amount that the purchaser needs to close the deal. And then on top of that, of, of course, are the land transfer taxes, if applicable, and then fees and disbursements. And then you, uh, as a purchaser's lawyer, wire that balance due on closing amount to the vendor solicitor. Once uh, he or she receives the funds, uh, they release. Now, everything's done electronic with uh, real estate in Ontario. They would release the deed or transfer of land. You would then take it, uh, sign in, register it, uh, register the mortgage simultaneous, and uh, hopefully you've consummated and closed that transaction. Okay, uh, now what happens is a lot of times things may go sour, and if uh, the deal doesn't go uh, as smooth as it should, or if the purchaser can't come up with the funds, or the bank doesn't release the monies, or there's a problem on closing, then you would get uh, uh, the vendor tendering on a purchaser or the purchaser's lawyer tendering on the vendor's lawyer if for some reason uh, the vendor can't deliver clear title, mm-hmm. if you've found mm-hmm. clouds or problems that the vendor can't fix. So then effectively one party uh, tenders on the other, uh, that effectively deems the uh, the contract null and void, and then you get into the uh, who's at fault, uh, what are the damages, and then that moves on to litigation. A lot of moving parts there. No I mean, kidding. when you're yeah, buying and selling a home, you're thinking, yeah. uh, you know, I'll get a lawyer, I'll get a real estate right. agent, they'll take care of it. Yeah. You guys are taking, <laughs> taking care of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And Rick, it's gotten so complicated now that, uh, I mean, the agents need to be aware of liability and almost need to be lawyers. And the lawyers mm-hmm. also need to be know everything about uh, the real estate uh, end of things and stuff. So it's, uh, it's become very complicated and very technical. And if you don't cross the uh, T's and dot the I's, everybody gets into trouble. Yeah. So Now, did, did it get that way because there were so many instances where there was litigation? So maybe the powers that be thought we got to put in more rules or new rules or better rules? Well, as we've gotten more sophisticated and real estate uh, property values have gone up and, and, and just like land transfer taxes alone in the greater Toronto area have doubled, uh, you get into the, all these complexities and, and the potential for litigation. So the real estate boards have had to really increase the amount of responsibility on their members, their agents. Uh, the laws have continued to go uh, crazy all over the map. Mm-hmm. And so it's just uh, the nature of the beast itself has become much more uh, complicated and technical. And uh, the bottom line and the, and the, the, the number one uh, issue we're always worried about is uh, liability. Yeah. And that's, you know, you want to minimize your liability and, and, and uh, not create situations where you're exposed to be sued, basically. You mentioned earlier that, and I think, I, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you were once able to represent both sides. What changed there? Well, the law, uh, just litigation itself, and unfortunately, uh, the numbers may have changed, but it used to be where uh, close to 80% or if not more uh, of the uh, lawsuits against lawyers uh, were in real estate. Right. Because uh, there's just so many competing interests when you're representing a purchaser. There's just so much you need to do to protect a purchaser. And on the flip side, obviously, to protect a vendor. Uh, and lawyers were getting caught in this conflict of interest where you really can't protect both properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the law society stepped in and said, no, you can't act for both sides anymore. Uh, and I, I can I can see perhaps down the road this dual agency thing with the uh, real estate 
uh, brokers associations might end up uh, going that way too. But I mean, nobody has a crystal ball, yeah. but you can see there are two uh, separate and distinct interests to protect. And it's hard if you're, you're acting for both. Yeah. And, and how long ago did that change? Uh, I would think in the last five to ten years. Yeah. Uh, it just it, when, when it comes on, you just got to deal with it. But uh, my timing may be off, but I know definitely more than five. In that ballpark. Less than 10. Yeah. Uh, our special guest uh, today on the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML is Paul Satimi, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law, 905-527-0808. You can find them online, satimilaw.com. You can get a hold of Rob at 905-575-7700. His website, robgolfie.com. And a little later on in the show, Rob is going to talk about uh, the golfie team advantage. We'll get into that before uh, all is said and done um when the buyer is not closing the deal does the seller still have to pay the realtor's commission no um uh, the the agreement is based on on the uh once a, a deal is fulfilled once a, it, it's closed um and if for instance um like if somebody uh the the buyers you know put the offer in and the seller's selling and on closing date they don't close um then there is no commissions paid. Okay. There is no commissions paid. Uh, our, what we do is we have to re-sign a, a brand new listing agreement because that was that listing agree- agreement was fulfilled, but now it's null and void because mm-hmm. uh, somebody didn't close on the deal, so we start all over again. And usually what we do is uh, uh, we get the house back up for sale right away okay. and um, and then try to find another buyer right away. And sometimes, you know, in, in, in this market, sometimes uh, you get uh, sometimes more money uh, or sometimes less money. So now what happens is if somebody doesn't close on your deal, <clears throat> and this is, and I remember we talked in the past, it's it's, it's always good not to close the same day mm-hmm. because uh, sometimes, you know, you got your moving trucks uh, 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 ready, you're moving out, but but people need that money. They're selling their house. They need that money to bu- to move into the next the house. Next one, yeah. That causes, uh, you know, a, 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 a firestorm, a, a, a reaction, <laughs> yeah, a, a trickle yeah. effect down the, down the line because now everybody's waiting. And uh, so that not only that one person didn't get his house closed that day, mm-hmm. it could be two or three others down the road because everybody's all waiting right. to, to close these deals all the way down the line. And, and it's caused problems like that. Yeah. Now, there's always somebody along the line, down the line, um, depending on the bank, you know, depending on his, you know, if he's got a good relationship with his bank or or somebody, somebody will come through, and uh, and will will uh, the the funds will come. Uh, a lot of times, people bridge finance, mm-hmm. so sometimes uh, uh, the guy that is uh, selling, he's already taken possession of a house a week earlier, right. and the banks bridged him. Basically, they said, okay, we'll lend you the money and just pay the interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, part so he'll be fine but now the banks are going to get worried because now they've got money into these two properties yeah. and he hasn't you know and they were expecting their money back from this one so so there's a lot there could be a lot of issues there but uh, but again it um it, it yeah it starts all over again yeah. are there any warning signs or red flags that you can see or have seen in the past that is going to point to a buyer not being able to close or just not closing on that date um, yeah, we know usually sometimes uh, a couple weeks, um, it, it's some, a couple weeks before, but usually it's a week before. Mm. The lawyers, um, uh, usually when they're closing their deal, they have a tendency of, you know, they're, they're starting to notice that they're not getting information from the other lawyer. Right. And, uh, but we do get the surprise call uh, when people have sold privately. Rob, I sold my house privately. 
we can't find the guy, and uh, oh, no. we I need to sell my house right away. So <laughs> we we get a lot of those. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so we got to get that uh, situated right away. No doubt about it. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. Let's get to, to this one. If the seller gets another buyer to close on the sale quickly, can he or or she sue the first buyer for breaching the sale contract? That's a good question for Paul. Like depending how much losses there are. Yeah, and, th- and that's typically what happens. So if the first deal doesn't close, and it's uh, typically the responsibility of the purchaser, they didn't get financing or, or something fell apart, uh, the bank didn't advance the money, they may have not disclosed uh, their financial position properly or given proper uh, income information, mm-hmm. uh, and the deal doesn't close, I mean, the vendor's going to tender upon the purchaser or the purchaser's lawyer, and then uh, basically the deal's null and void. Uh, and then the seller typically will relist the property as soon as he or she can because you want to uh, minimize or mitigate in, the, in legal terms their damages. Right. Uh, and that can be extremely uh, o- onerous and, and become uh, huge in terms of losses uh, on the seller. They may have already bought uh, with the hope of selling and needing those funds and bridge finance, as uh, Rob said. And then uh, you get a, like a, a chain in the link. They needed to sell to buy, but they've already bought. Now mm-hmm. they're out. Uh, the money or equity they, they may have needed from that sale. So the the damages quickly escalate. Yeah, and the so dominoes they, start to fall. Right, so they were going to, uh, they need to sell to buy, but they've already bought. But if they didn't, then uh, now they can't buy. Somebody was selling to them, now that kills that deal. So uh, the damages quickly can escalate. And uh, when you look at deposits and stuff with that first buyer not closing, uh, there's, there are clauses in the agreements that say, uh, should the deal not close, uh, as a result of the fault of the buyer, uh, then any deposit would be forfeited, not as damages or penalty, but uh, but as li- uh, sorry, not as penalty, but as liquidated damages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into that litigation right away, and then they have to figure out if there's any further damages. Uh, then you have to go to court and litigate. Uh, and then what, Rob? Uh, the challenge to the uh, the real estate agents is uh, uh, how do we deal with uh, mutual releases now? Uh, and that's another document that, that comes up, and maybe Rob can touch on that. We'll get, we'll get into that in our next segment uh, coming up here on the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. with the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in studio with Rob Golfi, sales representative with Remax's Escarpment Realty, the Golfi team, 905-575-7700. Find them online at robgolfi.com, robgolfi.com. At Rob Golfi on Twitter and Instagram, check out the Rob Golfi Facebook page as well. If you have a question for Rob, we'll get to it on a future program. Email questions at robgolfi.com. Again, that's questions at robgolfi.com. We'll answer it on next week's program. Our in-studio special guest today, Paul Satimi, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law. His phone number is 905-527-0808, Satimi Law. We're talking about titles, insurance, wills, power of attorney, and mutual releases, or a mutual release. What is that? Mutual release is when both parties, they signed for an agreement of purchase and sale. So you got the buyer, Mm -hmm. and then you got the seller. So, for for instance, let's say um, 
Um, the buyer has got two conditions on there. One's financing, one's home inspection. Okay. And uh, so he, you know, he gets his financing okay, but he does the home inspection. He finds something, you know, e- expensively wrong with the property. So now he may, he's got a couple of choices. He can, you know, renegotiate, uh, you know, the the deal, or he can walk away because he had a condition in there to protect himself mm-hmm. so what happens is we do a mutual release so because he didn't fulfill his he did fulfill his uh condition on inspection right. but, but he's not satisfied with it so he's going to walk away so we do a mutual release so both parties uh agree that because the inspection didn't fulfill his his criteria mm-hmm. that they they part ways but there's also the other mutual release where if the guy doesn't close the deal, and I've got this going on right now, and and believe it or not, it's with this, uh, it's it's a realtor that uh, purchased the property on uh, on on Lakeview uh, in uh, in Stony Creek, and he put an offer in right away, and uh, so you could tell he's not a very experienced realtor. He doesn't do much business, so he put an offer in right away. He didn't do his due diligence and you know checking it out, and he put a twenty thousand dollar deposit on it. And uh, went in firm, cash, no conditions. And before closing, he doesn't close. And it, it, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know, you know, why he, before closing, the lawyer says, this guy's not closing. And he, it's like he doesn't care, right? And he's a realtor, right? right. So, so I'm, I still may end up sending him a letter to uh, the Real Estate Council of Ontario to show his bad faith and how he, he dealt with this. Uh, hopefully he's listening. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so we're going to send a mutual release. And there was a $20,000 deposit. Uh, we did resell the property. Uh, but we're probably going to go for probably ten or 15000 of that 20000 hmm. and And he says, no way. He wants his $20,000 deposit back. Um, especially because he is a realtor, I'd rather see this go to small claims court mm-hmm. because the judge will hang him and say, you as a realtor should know better yeah, yeah. Uh, that that you don't do this kind of thing. But uh, so we're, we're sending in a mutual release. And I said, you do whatever you want with it. And he goes, well, I'm going to send it to my lawyer. I go, fantastic, because it's going to be even better for us. Because you, as a representative, as a, a realtor, is going to, it's going to look really bad on you. I, right. I hope. And I said to him, I hope it does go to court because I'm, I'm, I'm looking after my client, my yeah. seller. Yeah. So anyway, um, so if he doesn't sign that mutual release, the money that's sit, sitting in trust, that twenty thousand dollars, cannot be released to anybody. Right. That could sit there for it could sit there for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have to wait till both parties agree. Who gets what or whatever? Right. So that's that's the hard part about it. So we have sometimes you could have money in a trust account for years, many many years, and I'm sure, Paul, you probably got stuff that's right. been in there five five plus years. Yeah, we've seen that, uh, and now in a, in a real seller's market, what we're seeing is a lot of the purchasers aren't even even putting in uh, most of the conditions that you usually see in an offer, like conditional on financing. Uh, home inspection or, or obtaining, uh, you know, fire insurance. <clears throat> so what's happening is they're going ahead. These deals are firming up, and then on closing, uh, the purchasers uh, are having uh, problems with the banks. The banks aren't advancing funds. The, the the offers weren't conditional, so they may have not gotten pre-approved, and that's just created a floodgates for litigation. Uh, so typically, like Rob said, the mutual release usually gets signed by both parties where the offer was conditional on things and those conditions weren't fulfilled. Right. So you sign the mutual release and all that says is I won't sue you vendor and I won't sue you purchaser. Right. Yeah. The deposit's returned and away you go. But when you get into the situation where the, the deal is firmed up and the conditions have been uh, fulfilled and waived, uh, or if the purchaser in this kind of market doesn't include them and the deal's firmed up, and then the deal doesn't close because of the fault of the purchaser. Then you got a problem with uh, 
one side's not going to sign the release, and that's usually the vendor because he's going to say, hey, uh, you didn't close the deal. Mm -hmm. You breached the contract. My solicitors tendered on you. We've uh, deemed that contract null and void, and now you forfeited that deposit as liquidated damages and not as penalty. Right. And that allows the vendor to go on and find out what his damages, his or her damages are going to be, and allows him or her to sue the purchaser for not closing and breaching that contract. Right, right. Would, would a mutual release also work uh, when a, uh, a seller has second thoughts about selling their home? So they've put it on the market, they have a buyer, uh, paperwork has been signed, but then the homeowner's like, eh, you know what, I, I don't want to sell. They, I, I actually have seen this one time before uh, from, uh, and, I, and I heard about it. Um, there was an agent sold his, he, he actually sold his neighbor's property. Okay. And, uh, and his neighbor uh, calls him up. He was, in, he was on vacation. He was in Florida or something like that. He calls his agent and goes, I don't want to sell the house anymore. He's already signed everything. <laughs> and he goes, and the agent goes, he goes, you already signed everything. He goes, I don't care. Get, get me out of the deal. So he sends his paperwork. The seller sends the paperwork to his lawyer, right? And he found mistakes on the uh, agreement of purchase and sale. Oh no! So there was his way out. So now wow. his agent, which is his neighbor, is in big trouble because <clears throat> now the buyer wants this property, <laughs> and the seller doesn't want to sell, and the agent made mistakes. So the agent's going to have to figure out all the litigation stuff that's going to happen from the from the Jeez. buyer's side. Right? Wow! Yeah, that's and, a sticky and, situation. Yeah, and if it, and if it's a property that's uh, particularly. Uh, unique or something like that, the buyer has the right to then sue for specific performance, we call it, to force the vendor to sell the property. But in a vendor's market, if uh, the vendor has somebody else that he knows uh, he or she could sell for more money to, they can try to, to terminate these contracts. So it just creates a, a chaos out there and the floodgates of potential litigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in a case like that, the purchaser probably wouldn't sign the release and, and go on to find out uh, what his or her damages might be and then be able to sue the vendor. Right. But there's a lot of times where a vendor can't close. If uh, Now, the a purchaser's lawyer, within what we call a requisition date, has the right to search title and requisition or request that the vendor... Uh, fix certain things or, or do certain things to, to be able to give proper legal and marketable title. And then the offer uh, says the standard agreement of purchase and sale where the vendor's unwilling or unable or can't purchase title insurance to cover the particular problem, which I think we're going to touch on maybe in the next segment, mm -hmm. then the deal's null and void. Right. But where the, a vendor may just have a change of mind, uh, he or she may just not want to sell, then you get into potential litigation and being, uh, being sued. You mentioned a unique um, aspect of a property. What would fall in that category? We're talking like swimming pools or certain architecture? No, I would think if it was a historical building or something oh, okay. that would, uh, like a, a vintage car, like yeah. a 58 Corvette or something. Something that, you know, a judge would say, well, there's 10 other listings right in the same five uh, yeah. kilometer radius. This isn't unique. Right. Uh, we're not going to allow or force the vendor to, to, to part way with the property. Uh, so you just have the normal uh, recourse and redress of uh, damages and litigation hmm. in a case like that. Uh, if the seller sells the home for more money than the first deal, can he or she keep the deposit? It depends on uh, both parties. Obviously, the, the seller would want the full deposit because they had to go through the anguish of, of putting the property up for sale. Um, and if, the, if it took a period of time, 
and and it just depends on what the judge agrees uh, to to give, and sometimes if what both parties agree. Mm-hmm. What I normally do is I try to get that resolved before we sell it to the next party, and 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 kind of scare the uh, the buy the buyer's agent and the buyer that look if we get less money we can come after you for more money than mm-hmm. what your deposit is. Mm-hmm. So if you sign this and uh, the mutual release, you lose maybe just you know five ten thousand dollars, and then you're clear. You're you're free and clear of ever being uh, sued for anything, but if you wait till after, um, and uh, it could, it could be a lot worse. It just depends on what what uh, you know the sale can be. Yeah. You know the price. You're listening to the uh, Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in studio with Rob Golfie, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. You can call him today at 905-575-7700. RobGolfie.com is the website. At Rob Golfie on Instagram and Twitter, and you can check him out on Facebook as well. Our special guest this morning, Paul Satimi, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law. His phone number is 905-527-0808. The website satimilaw.com. Let's talk about titles insurance. Yes. that's That came in probably about, uh, I'd say between... Eight, uh, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, Paul? Yep. Is that is that when it came in? Yes. I, I, I remember, because in, in, in the U.S., it was in the U.S. prior to that. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, so I remember uh, when they, they were starting to bring this in, uh, they were doing a huge promotion with the real estate agents trying to get people to sign up for this hmm. uh, titles insurance. And it, and, it, and it was pretty good. It was an insurance. And I, I think in, in Canada, the guys from Hamilton that started it. Yeah, there's two. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's practicing pretty, lawyers actually. Yeah, that started the titles insurance yeah. here in Canada. They're obviously they're very wealthy now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Pat Chikuti and uh, Ben Derubis actually they were. Uh, we used to rent the same property in uh, London when they were at law school, and then mm-hmm. a couple of years later, I was an undergrad there. But uh, very successful, and they started the whole program here uh, with uh, uh, First Canadian Title Insurance. It was a, a vehicle in the states where a lot of the states have actually title insurance companies that close the real estate transactions like in Florida and other states. Hmm. Uh, And they were interested in in trying to do that, which would have put uh, the real estate practicing, uh, you know, a bar and lawyers out of business basically, but then they uh, just reduced it to offering title insurance, which is very important because now it used to be where uh, the banks uh, used to require an up-to-date survey, uh, which was not more than 10 years old. But a lot of times the, the surveying companies couldn't get the surveys done. Deals had to be extended. And it was just, uh, you know, when, when the market got busy, it was creating a lot of problems. And, and, you know, then you get litigation because deals didn't close and mm-hmm. then it caused a lot of chaos. But uh, the Law Society uh, actually has its own title insurance uh, regime uh, called Title uh, Plus. Uh, that the, the practicing lawyers can use. There's First Canadian Title, there's Stewart Title, and Chicago Title Insurance. So basically now, this whole title insurance regime has taken over the need uh, to get an up-to-date survey uh, when, you're, when you're borrowing money or dealing with a bank or, or a financial institution. Uh, and it's, it's become uh, very efficient and a, and a great way of satisfying the banks as to uh, what they may uh, need to deal with. The whole issue is if they have to go power of sale and take over the property, they want to know that the property is marketable and uh, they're going to be able to get fair market value. So now instead of having to get uh, surveys and, you know, the banks, it's the golden rule. They got the gold, they make the rule. So they came out with the, the, this title insurance scheme where purchasers, when dealing with banks, uh, and even if they're not, to protect themselves, uh, uh, order and request title insurance. 
uh, and it's standard on all all purchases now that uh, anytime somebody's dealing with a bank, they have to go through this exercise mm. uh, at a fraction of the cost. So you can get title insurance for two hundred seventy-five dollars uh, to four hundred and fifty, based on the the purchase price of the property, and they'll also do it on uh, commercial properties. And it's really become uh, a great way of closing uh, deals that may have had problems. Well, the the, the thing about titles insurance. It started about 18 years ago. Now, a lot of us have parents that have lived in their houses and uh, they've been there for 50 years mm -hmm. or 40 years or whatever. Right. So anybody that owns a house prior to 18 years ago doesn't have titles insurance. Now, titles insurance protects even if somebody tries to fraudulently put a mortgage on your house that you don't know about. Hmm. So they will cover that. So. <clears throat> I, I actually keep telling my parents they should put titles insurance on their house because one day they can wake up, find out they got a, a $250,000 mortgage on their house, and uh, they'll say, no, no, we don't. But titles insurance will protect them from that. So anybody that doesn't have titles insurance, they should go see a lawyer and, and, and put that titles insurance on their home, and it protects them from any fraudulent or anything anything uh, of any sort of their property. Right. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole array of things that... Uh, they happen. insure, just like with automobile insurance, and it's good to have because uh, it may be uh, that your fe your fence encroaches onto your neighbor or is being encroached, mm -hmm. that you encroach onto to city lands or public lands. Uh, maybe the eaves troughs on your house uh, overhang onto your adjoining neighbor. So there's a whole series of, of potential problems, and uh, over the years uh, we've had problems with uh, vendors selling, and there's old mortgages on there. And that perhaps the mortgage company they dealt with uh, is no longer in business or was bought out and this and that. And you have to be able to deliver a clear title on closing. So you get into problems where we can't find somebody to sign a discharge. Mm -hmm. Now what? Well, these title insurance companies, if you call them, call them they will agree to over-insure and protect the purchaser for these problems. So like I indicated earlier, uh, a purchaser's lawyer, when doing a search, if there are any of these clouds or problems, requisitions the vendor's lawyer to fix these problems before they close the deal. And a lot of times, uh, you know, the offer says itself, the agreement of purchase and sell, where a vendor is unwilling or unable or can't get insurance to fix a problem, then the deal would naturally die and the deposit would be returned and the parties would be on their way. But uh, with the advent of title insurance companies in the in the picture now, and if you're able as a vendor to get title insurance to cure some of these problems, you would have to pay the premium, but then you can close the deal, pass on the situation and title to the purchaser, and they can rest assured that they're title insured so that when they go sell, some of these problems that may have never been able to be fixed cannot just be passed on but mm -hmm. be protected. Mm -hmm. uh, and the issue is marketability because the purchaser would be worried, look, at if I take title to this property, am I going to be able to turn around and sell it and get full market value? Yeah. And that's the beauty of having title insurance uh, companies involved now uh, in the process. I, I've got a, a, a good example on a small titles insurance, and I'll, I'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a break. We'll get to that uh, scenario in a second. You're listening to The Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. Places are getting old, so I'm going home. 
Welcome back. This is the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in studio with Rob Golfe, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfe team. Call them today at 905-575-7700. All over Twitter and Instagram, at Rob Golfe. Check out the Rob Golfe Facebook page as well. You can find them online, robgolfe.com. We're in studio today as well with Paul Satimi, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law. His website is satimilaw.com. You can call them at 905-527-0808. We're talking about title insurance, wills, power of attorney, all that kind of stuff, fun stuff. And Rob, you had a scenario that you wanted to share. Yeah, uh, well, I, I got title insurance on my property uh, when, uh, and actually Paul, clo- this was a property about 12 years ago and Paul closed on it. So what happens is sometimes when you get um, all the information from the, the city, the, the city of Hamilton and, you know, all the utility companies, they, right. Um, so the city of Hamilton says, okay, uh, as of this date, the closing date, uh, this is the final tax bill that's there. Um, so there's a water bill too. So what happened was the previous owner, there was a water bill of $258 or something like that. I was left with. So somehow it got missed hmm. during the, the closing. So I'm getting this water bill and it's not even in my name, but I own title of this house. Ah, right. So I go to this the city and say, hey, listen, this is not my water bill. Here, take it. They go, it doesn't matter. You own the house. Mm. And they didn't care. I said, look, we're, we're like, this is 12 years ago. So I, and I'm thinking this is 2003 or four or whatever. <laughs> I go, I can't believe this. I says, you're telling me that this, these people that I bought this house from use this water yeah. and you're not even, you don't even care about going after them. Right. They go, nope. They go, it's your problem. And, wow. uh, but, but they did say, if you go, if you send that bill to titles insurance, title insurance, sorry, title, um, then, uh, they will reimburse you and then they'll, they'll go after those people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, so t- that's what you did. And that's what yeah. I did. So t- title insurance, uh, you know, wrote a check and, uh, they said, well, and then, and they, they probably got their money from the, uh, the previous owners and I didn't have to worry about chasing them or yeah. anything like that. But peace, uh, peace but, of mind is what you got. Yeah, it is. So that, that's just a minor little thing. I mean, there's stories where people found oil tanks underground. Ground, uh, on their properties and uh, so I don't know what the uh, uh, maximum that they cover for because I know they had some big uh, claims so I think they they reached they revamped their uh, yeah, their insurance got a max limit yeah and even easements rights of ways things that maybe weren't discovered when you did a search of title that may crop up later uh, like I said previously uh, old mortgages that hadn't been discharged but even utility uh, bills from the past if they can't be uh, collected uh, a new purchaser from the previous owner. Title insurance cover those uh, covers those kinds of uh, scenarios. So mm. it's really become quite a a way of protecting purchasers uh, and uh, the uh, banks. A real good example was um, this um, this couple bought this house, and um, you know the driveway. They you know so they bought this house. So all of a sudden they get a knock on the door. Uh, from the neighbor, like, I think it was uh, a, a co- commercial company uh, next next door. They say, "Hey, did you want to buy the land that you have your driveway on?" Right. They go, "What are you talking about? We own this driveway." They go, "No, you don't." So, oh my. So anyway, so they uh, they were devastated wow. because literally they been using this driveway <laughs> and they didn't realize it wasn't there and nobody knew this. Like the, even the lawyer, like it just it was just automatic. Yeah. So I mean, what you see, you think it's part of the house, right? Sure, you, sure. you know your driveway. So anyway, um, Titles Insurance got involved. They did buy the piece of land for that house hmm. for for that couple. They uh, and uh, so that's so Titles Insurance will you know. I go to that route. That was an example. That was many, many years ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they still would do something like that. But 
it's still the case where, where most of these insurance companies have their own team of lawyers or they'll uh, farm out and subcontract uh, the litigation, but they will protect the buyer that's been caught in a situation. So you just you put in a claim like you would with an automobile insurance mm-hmm. uh, policy, and then they go to bat for you and basically take over and cover all the expenses and everything to, to give uh, to fix the problem and give the purchaser proper title or or uh, correct whatever the deficiency is right. with the title. Got a couple minutes uh, left in this segment. Let's talk about the wills and uh, power of attorney, which we've touched on in past yeah. shows as well. Yeah, and, and it, this is critically important now when. People uh, uh, buy a, a home maybe for the first time, uh, the elderly, uh, anybody, if you have children, uh, the whole issue of, of wills and power of attorneys, uh, you know, if you don't have these documents to protect you in certain situations, it can be devastating on the family because uh, then the public trustee's office uh, can step in and, and start to dictate what, what happens with people's uh, estates mm-hmm. uh, and, and their livelihood and, you know, all their hard-earned money. Uh, so basically, I mean, a will protects you when you, when you pass on and, and to whom you want to leave your worldly possessions. Powers of attorney are just as important, but they protect you while you're alive, but maybe uh, mentally or physically incapacitated. Yeah. So typically you would appoint somebody to be your attorney uh, to be able to walk into your sho- shoes and deal with your, your finances and to deal with uh, health care issues, and, and a health care power of attorney is also uh, referred to as a living will. you got to make sure you get the right person uh, help. Oh, I'm sure there's dozens yeah. of horror stories, probably yeah. hundreds, yeah, thousands sure. of horror stories. For sure. Um, oh, go, uh, I mean, we've heard, uh, for instance, uh, uh, they do leave it to the wrong person, and all of a sudden uh, the, the person that they're supposed to take care of, yeah. there's no money left wow. for them. And uh, the, the, the sibling... Uh, all of a sudden just spent all the money for themselves. Yeah. Wow. So. That's pretty scary. All right. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap up with uh, the golfy team advantage and how you can take advantage of their advantage here in Hamilton. This is the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. One more go-round here on the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in studio with Rob Golfie, sales representative with REMAX Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. If you have a question for Rob, email your query to questions at robgolfie.com. Call them today at 905-575-7700. robgolfie.com is the website at Rob Golfie on Twitter and Instagram. And check out the Rob Golfie Facebook page. Paul Satimi is our in-studio guest today, real estate and general practice attorney at Paul Lewis Satimi Law. 905-527-0808 satimilaw.com is the website. Final thoughts on wills and power of attorney. Well, Rick, uh, Rob, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'll just give a quick overview yeah, go ahead. Okay. Of, of what we do when we're doing wills. You're basically getting instructions from a client as to how they want to distribute uh, what we call the net residue of their estate. So how do we do that? Well, there's three types of property off the bat that don't doesn't come into the, the community or pool of uh, assets or property of a person's estate. And the first is any property held jointly. Uh, and you usually see this between husband and wife uh, on bank accounts and on, on any uh, real estate like the matrimonial home. Mm-hmm. And that has uh, included or incorporated the right of survivorship. So if one person uh, passes on, their interest flows to the survivor. So for the person who's passed, that property or interest or ownership doesn't come into their estate. Uh, 
So you don't have to deal with that and have to probate on that uh, ground alone. The second type of property are any specific bequests. Uh, if uh, a husband might be a, a hunter fisherman, he wants to leave his best friend as a fishing boat or skidoo or sea or any of that kind of property, mm-hmm. that those assets wouldn't come into their estate because they've been specifically bequested or bequeathed. Right. And the third is any life insurance proceeds. Uh, there you would, with the life insurance company, appoint your beneficiary, and upon your passing, uh, that uh, named individual beneficiary would get the proceeds, so those monies wouldn't come in to the deceased's uh, estate or pool of assets. Mm-hmm. So anything outside of those three types of property do come into the person's estate, uh, and then uh, like any property held as a tenant in common as opposed to a joint tenant. Those uh, monies would come in any other property solely in that person's name, not on a joint bank account, or, you know, GICs, RSPs, uh, and that would come into the person's estate. So then you would want to appoint an executor. So an executor becomes your trustee. And most typically, a husband appoints a wife, a wife appoints a husband, and then they contemplate an alternate in case something happens or if they die at the same time or within 30 days of each other. So they would appoint uh, probably a child or a friend that's good with handling money and somebody they trust. Mm -hmm. So the executor becomes a trustee, gathers in all the assets, pays off any funeral expenses, any uh, income tax liability, gets a clearance certificate from the government, and then basically distributes what we call the net residue to the beneficiaries. And usually for a husband, the wife's the first beneficiary, wife for the husband, and then the children equally. And then that deals with wills. So you want to protect any uh, land, any property uh, that you have only in your name that you may have uh, done tax planning that comes into your estate so that your beneficiaries take free uh, free and clear. And a lot of people, to cover what they uh, anticipate or contemplate might be their tax liability, uh, will buy life insurance to cover that. Uh, They'll make it payable, the beneficiary, to the estate. So the insurance covers the tax liability, and then the beneficiaries take free and clear. Hmm. So that's basically an overview of what we do with wills. Uh, And then with powers of attorney, there's two types. A general power of attorney deals with financial matters, and the health care or living will deals with uh, health uh, issues and concerns. Right. Okay, and so it's equally important. And usually husband appoints wife, wife appoints husband, and then a child or two jointly and severally to deal with those issues while you're alive but maybe mentally or physically incapacitated. Hey, it's the best breakdown I've ever heard. You got it. Uh, Let's uh, wrap up by talking about uh, the golfy team advantage. Okay, there's a couple of things here I want to talk about is – People, be careful uh, when you have your house up for sale. We're finding that a lot of -of out-of-town agents are coming in and submitting offers on homes that they haven't even showed. Now, they're doing this because they can't get to the property in time because the market is fast. Do not accept these offers. They're coming in with offers, and they're good offers with condition of financing and inspection. So what they do is they come in with an offer. They don't come in with a deposit, and 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 they stall on the deposit. And it's happening. So if you do get an offer on your home from a realtor that has not showed your home, deny it. Because what they do is they tie you up, and then when they do the home inspection, that's when they decide whether they want the property or not and all of a sudden you just eliminated all these buyers that probably did want the property now your house is on the market for a week or two now and now you've made your property less sellable because now you've got aged your property meaning that your house is on the market two weeks and houses are selling a lot quick so be careful for these agents that are coming in putting offers in uh, on uh, on uh, on your house like for their clients and not having seen the property. So make sure that uh, your agent knows that or make sure that uh, you know that. Uh, another thing, I just want to show you the advantage, uh, how, you know, what we do. So recently, 
Um, uh, someone had their house up for sale for four hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and uh, they had it for sixty days, and the agent couldn't sell it. So they were very upset. They fired the agent. They called us in, and less than three days later, we had the house up on the market. We sold that house for five thousand dollars more than the asking price. So. People, I don't know. Like, if this agent had this house for sixty days and couldn't sell it for four hundred fifty thousand, yeah. and I list it for four hundred fifty thousand, and we sell it for five thousand dollars more, there is a problem there. So be careful on be careful on who you hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please don't uh, be afraid to call us. We really want to earn your business, and I know you won't be disappointed. And I know we've uh, always mentioned, you know, the social feeds and that, and you guys are really active in social media and, and, and using that as another marketing branch, really. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, you know, on uh, Twitter, at uh, Rob Golfie, Instagram as well, and check out the Rob Golfie Facebook page for a few examples of that. RobGolfie.com is the website. Big thanks to Paul Satimi for coming in. You can check out his website, SatimiLaw.com. Guys, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you. You too. All right, you've been listening to the Hamilton Real Estate Show on AM 900 CHML.